Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay, from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey there, Josh Lindsay. How's it going? Long time no see. Bonjour. And uh, as always, our trusty, dusty, research extraordinaire, audio guy, Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hey. Man of many words. Man of many words. All right, so Chris, oh, yes. yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. How are things going on the Movie Proposal Podcast? Fantastic. We just had Mike Naraki, Larry <gasps> the Cucumber, on. Oh, that's exciting. Yes, yeah, very exciting. What was he talking about? We talked about Toy Story Four. Oh, but he's also a professor at Lipscomb University in Nashville. That's new. He's got a new book series out for kids. That's new. So we had a lot to talk about. That's awesome. Fortunately, the audio quality wasn't the best, but. It's still worth listening to. <laughs> that, <laughs> to that, that one day, just that one day. But he was excited. He wants to come back. He has had such a good time. He wants to do it again. Great. So. That's fantastic. Thanks for asking, Christian. Yeah, no problem. Okay. So Christian's been all over the world. She was uh, first in, uh, started out here in Wheaton. Then she went to all the way to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, another part of the world. Lived there for a while and then came back here. And then um, she's been back and forth to France. But this this most recent trip to France was the big screening, let's show the world, at least France, this movie you've made. And when we were talking last, you had the first screening at the museum. Yeah. Uh, not a dry eye. We got some feedback, but overall, everyone loved it. And then you had basically a month ahead of you of screenings. Yeah. So, so how many screenings did you have total? So we had a total of 11 screenings um, in several different venues, um, y- you know, and it was it was very very interesting. I have to say, uh, every event, every screening was different. And um, I think one of the things that we need to say is that this was a focus group screening. So the film is not done, and we knew that. Like it, I really have said this before. It, we had worked on it 12 weeks. Of course, I'd worked on it a year, but that was pre-production principle. Post-production, we, we really – I wrote it and we edited it in 10 weeks and then refined it in 12. So this, this month in France of 11 screenings was not working on the film but just getting feedback as to where it was at that point. Yeah. I mean, I've never written a, a documentary film script before. I've never even done a documentary film. So I have no idea how this is going to play, and I have no idea if it's any good. And we we want to know how it's landing with our audience. This is a tricky film because we're not just targeting, like, one sort of group. We, are, we want this film to appeal to young people, uh, people – you know, in their middle years, as well as older people, um, men, women, girls and boys. And so we have, you know, French, American, uh, other Europeans in general. So we have a, we're just trying to, you know, broad spectrum, everything. Does it work? Who does it land with? Who really likes it? And how do we figure this out? So we just, we designed this as a focus group screening. We realized that it really wasn't exactly like we wanted it to be. We knew we were going to need to make a lot of changes. And we wanted to hear from others what worked for them and what didn't. And so our thinking about how to do that is we would try to give audience members several ways to respond to us and give us feedback. One was we printed up surveys that were Half of them were in French, half of them were in English, and um, it just asked the viewer a series of questions. Uh, some were uh, multiple choice, and some were a little, uh, you know, essay driven or like uh, what do you call them? Uh, I don't know, where they could just 
free thinking write their answers. Like an essay question. Thank you. Like an essay question. Now, was it like yeah. the first questions were in English and the last questions no, were no, in no. French? No, no, no. We had we had to hand out, you know, to suit up two separate groups, yeah. Okay, just making sure. So, and then um and then we also handed out postcards with our film that had an online form that they could go and fill out. They could do it on their phone or they could do it at a computer or whatever. So I think it took us to the fourth or fifth screening before we ever figured out how to actually get people to respond. Really? So yeah. in the beginning, they w- were holding back? They didn't know uh, how to respond? In the beginning, nobody wanted to take the time to fill out the survey there. Oh. And then when we gave them the card, of course, they left and nobody filled it out after they left. <laughs> So we'd gone through four screenings, and we had no responses. Wow. So so then Bill said, you know, when I'm – he worked on Overcomer. So it's like when we were with Overcomer, basically, we sh- we locked everybody in, and we told them they couldn't leave until they filled out the survey. I was like, that's what we're doing. So but that's basically what we did from then on out. We're like, okay, you came here to watch this. You have to fill this out, or you can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've been to screens like that for you know film where they they didn't they made they didn't threaten us that we were locked in, but you know they said you have to fill it out before you can go. Yeah, I felt bad about it at first, but then people actually did it, and so um, and it was super helpful, really, really helpful. Um, and then um, you know the other thing that we decided to do to get more feedback from a broader audience, we decided to release the film on D-Day for free to anyone. and But they had to fill out the survey. Mm. And so we embedded the film inside a survey, asked people to watch it, and then fill out and the survey. And they couldn't survey. leave the internet until they filled out Correct. the survey. Correct. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, so, many, how- so I would say we have about 500 um, paper and online surveys that we actually got back. And generally speaking, do you find did you find the responses helpful? Yeah, it's incredibly helpful. Because you have to take at least some of it with a grain of salt. We're like, yeah. some people have no idea right. what they're talking about. Right. Like, you know, that they, they they would something might be annoying to them that has nothing to do with the quality of the film. Yeah. It's just they didn't like the color of the guy's shirt. Right. Well I mean you have to I had to read through every one and and you have to consider you have to consider who you're hearing from, what age they are, where they live, um, what their particular point of view of. And each person that fills it out tips their hand a little bit. And so we did ask those questions. How old are you? Where are you from? Um, You know, what language do you speak or whatever? Um, And... So you could get a good idea. So that's why when I'm reading them and I'm reading the French, all the French ones, and the French people are like, yeah, you need to cut out a lot of this French stuff. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. Sure. Um, but taking everything as a whole is what's helpful. And there are some times where people really were insightful and I'm things they – thought of things or asked things or suggested things I never would have thought of. Now, there were some things in general that were universal. So there were people that said, do not change a thing. There were people that said, I want to see what's on the cutting room floor. I could sit here for another hour. Mm. You know, what did, what did we miss? But by and large, most people said, you need to shorten it. And so at this point, I think it was two hours and seven minutes with the credits, but the credits were like seven minutes. So um, 
I think that most people felt like it was too long. Now, what I did find out is it kind of depends on the environment that they were sitting in. So one night, we're in the Utah Beach Museum, and there is no air conditioning, and it's 100 degrees, and it's a completely filled theater. (laughs) It was miserable. People were miserable. So a two-hour film felt like four. Right. Right? But we screened it at the D-Day Experience. The D-Day Experience is a brand-new IMAX theater. Big, comfy seats, huge, gigantic screen, phenomenal, screen yeah, okay. phenomenal sound system. It was like every film, you know, is should be shown and heard. Yeah. Like I, our film has never looked that good. And, and we were showing proxies. We weren't even showing the actual 4K film. We were showing proxies, which are compressed versions of our film. So like 720p versions. Um, of our film. So not so, as high quality as it could have been right, but for it an just, IMAX screen. It looked phenomenal. And um, and of course, those people's responses were very different. Right. And it was a different experience of seeing the film. That was, well, that if was, you can put a glass of wine in their hand and some yeah, French bread, air yeah. conditioning, you know, like if, I mean, true, three hours, no problem. Truthfully, the way people are feeling colors whether you know if they're hungry, if they're thirsty, if they're hot, if they're cold, if their seat's uncomfortable, that colors their ability to really understand and. So watch let me the ask film. you this: After getting 500 responses, do you feel you have a path, a clear path of like I know what we need to do now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That, but I will tell you, I since I've come back, I've done two. Tiny, tiny, tiny screenings here in the United States. So all of this was over in France. So last um, Friday, I screened it for 20 people in my hometown of Laurel, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. friends, family, neighbors. Um, And then Monday, just a couple of days ago, I screened it for uh, six people. One of them was Brad Freeman who is an Easy Company veteran that served under Dick Winters. If you don't know who Dick Winters is, watch Band of Brothers and you will learn. Um, this guy's name, he is in our film. He's one of our cast members. He's 95 years old. Um, so I was screening it with, you know, for him and his friends and some other people and my 17-year-old son, Hunt Josh. And I just learned so much from those two screenings because everybody there was American. And... They were different age groups. So, like the one with Brad Friedman, it was a much older age group. They, they were four of them were veterans. Four out of the six were veterans, almost. So it, you know, I learned a lot. I think that I'm going to learn a lot more going forward. Um, but I do have a clear path and a clear idea of what's going to happen now going forward. Uh, do you have an, a certain number of screens ahead? Of you that you I actually I mean I actually do of course being over there um, has opened so many doors and now that people the word has gotten out some people have seen it and and they want to show it to so and so mm. so for and then things happened like CO Bauer CO Bauer is one of our veterans he's from the 95th Infantry Division he helped liberate Mets he's an amazing man he's in our film. He was so excited about what we were doing and the stories we were telling when he went to his 95th Infantry Division reunion. He told people there, and a gentleman there was a co-founder of the Branson Military Film Festival. So they asked us to come and be one of their showcase films at this film festival for Veterans Week in November. So 
that was just one out of I have I have a screening in a different state in the United States through December. So do you, but are these all focus group screens or do you have, they will be focus These are going to be, it's a combination focus group screening and fundraising because I'm out of money. You're, okay, we need to talk about that. If you'd like to make a donation, I would desperately, desperately thank you because I'm so, I have $57 in our Normandy Project bank account <laughs> and I, I still owe my editor some money because I didn't get to pay him before I went to France. Um, and... You know, I, I've got to build up that coffers because I still have a lot of changes to make, mm-hmm. but I don't have money to make them. So um, I've we've done a little bit of editing since we've got back from gotten back from Normandy. Bill did it uh, out of the goodness of his heart. Um, we've cut off ten minutes and we've changed a few little other things that were easy to tweak, and we're gonna live with that cut while I raise money because I just have to have more money before I um, can go forward. Um, And I'm hoping eventually to find somebody at one of these screenings who really believes in what I'm doing and has the financial means to jump on board. And because I've got, of course, much more footage and film and stories to tell. I just need financial backing. You had mentioned uh, just in past conversations, people are interested in distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but um, if people are interested in that, wouldn't that help? Well, it does in a certain way, but it's not what everybody thinks, right? Especially with a documentary. Like, they're not going to pay a ton of money for a documentary, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be in, it's not going to have a theatrical release. So, what are we talking about? A distributor wants to license, like right now, I own this with my partners, and um, we, we've put our money into it. Donations have been made, so we own this, and we can do with it what we want. If we partner with a distributor, we will be licensing the film to them. They may give us $5,000. They'll have to use a lot of the money to help market the film. They hope to then license it to you know broadcast cable networks to Netflix or Amazon or iTunes. But nobody's paying a ton of money for, for that content kind mm-hmm. of content. So, um, you know, the distributor would work to get it into museums and into schools and things like that. But every time a distributor, you know, I mean, whatever deal I make with the distributor, then they get part of that money. So I do believe that over time, I will begin to pay off like we have about probably $50,000 of production debt over the last two years. So I will pay off that debt and then eventually maybe be able to pay some people that volunteered. But that will come slowly over a course of many years, I think. I don't think that this film is going to make a ton of money. And up to this point, you've been doing a lot of fundraising through social media and so forth, correct? Yes. Okay. In fact, all of our all of our fundraising has been through social media. I had some um, like little fundraisers around Wheaton and some silent auctions and things like that. I don't think I raised more than about nine thousand dollars that way. The majority of our funding has been through social media. Okay. Well, I would like to talk more about social media. How about we do that on our next podcast? Sounds great. All right. All right, thanks. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. Awesome. Thanks. Bye, everybody.